Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome, friends, first-time listeners, long-time listeners. I'm your host, Matt Drinkon, and this is The Eternal Optimist Podcast. Welcome today. You're all much appreciated for being here today. For those of you the first time, or those of you that need to be reminded, today is the day, the first day of the rest of your lives. You have a tremendous opportunity today to convert anything and everything that is bothering you, or that is serving you, or that is winning for you, or that is slowing you down. How might we convert all of that into something that can be used to our advantage? How might we convert all of that into a positive learning teacher? That's what this podcast is all about. Taking the challenges that we face and turning them into hope, turning them into, I can do this too. If you've ever been down on yourself for any reason, you feel challenged, frustrated, you're in a lot of pain, how might we learn to take action and make small steps forward incrementally so we can achieve the big things we want? Today's podcast, we're going to interview someone that's truly amazing who's done just that, Mr. Robert Murray. His story is fascinating. Ever since the age of 15 years old, he supported himself. He actually joined a company with his friends at the age of 15 and rode that to a $200 million organization with over a thousand employees. What really matters to Robert is connecting with people. That is the currency which he values the most. He's gonna share some amazing insights today in how he amplifies coaches and treats them as first responders, the people that are there on the front lines serving the world. He's got some great feedback today on how we as leaders, as employees, as teachers, how we can actually be with other people in a way that helps everyone feel empowered. Clarity comes from experimentation in action, and he does that to the umph degree. He's amazing. You're going to hear some great things today from Mr. Robert Murray. Look forward to this conversation. Without any further ado, let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. And with that, I would love to welcome to the show... Mr. Robert Murray. Robert, good day, sir. Hey, Matt. How's it going? It is going phenomenally well. Thank you very much. One thing that I'm incredibly inspired to share with you since we've been having a, a very pleasant discussion for the last few minutes, you ask, how's it going? And I would say it's going great because yesterday I overcame some major adversity. Now, let me define major adversity. This does not mean that I just you know, cured cancer or overcome the biggest thing in my life. I did overcome something. Yesterday, for the first time, out of three attempts, I qualified for the Charlotte City Amateur Golf Championship. And that, my friend, is, is overcoming adversity because I'd failed in two previous attempts. And and I had, for those of you who ever pay attention to golf, I had a triple bogey six on the shortest hole in the entire golf course, a number four, yesterday. So we were fighting from a deficit and we somehow managed to shoot under par the rest of the way in. That's my story of overcoming adversity. I know, not a big thing on the golf course, but still, something that was super important to me yesterday. I love that. And that is a perfect, you know, like in, in the summer, that's a super important thing to be able to qualify for something that you can now do. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is this has been kind of a, a fascinating thing in, in my world for some times. I've always wanted to rise to the top of the club championship or the city championship or the United States amateur championship. And this just happens to be one more step in that proving ground of hitting that dream. So excited about that. 
And where'd that come from? Oh, you asked how I was doing, and my mind took over and just said, talk about golf, talk about golf. All right, so this is about you, Robert. It's about sharing some of your stories of, of overcoming challenges and sharing the exciting future that you're creating. And I'd love to start by painting a picture for our listeners a little bit about who is Robert Murray. So if you could, what might be two bullet points about Robert Murray that would intrigue our audience today? Yeah, well, probably the the two major ones. It, it was funny, too, because I yesterday I celebrated my birthday, and I was telling my friends, it's like, oh, I've supported myself ever since I was 15 years old. Like, I've never received financial support from anybody externally since I was 15. And so it was like, wow, that's like, I really respect that. And, and, and I didn't really even think of it as being strange until I just, those words came out of my mouth yesterday. And the thing that was was unique about me is at age 15, I was already relatively independent and I started a company with my friends or I actually joined a company. I was I was hanging out when I was 12 years old at the company before it even started. But then when I was 15 and was old enough to work, basically joined a company with a group of my friends that we went from a complete startup mode to $200 million and a thousand employees. So I got that whole ride of what you do to start a company and to be really engaged and to have an amazing situation where I didn't know for 20 years of that ride that I was even working. Like it was just so engaging. I was doing something that I cared about, something that was so fun that it was like, I'm just hanging out with my friends and somehow money is appearing in the process of it. So that's probably a little bit unusual because as, as I said that to my friends, they're like, yeah, not many people can say that. So, Wow. I mean, that in itself could make the entire podcast worthwhile is to hear the entire story. So bookmark, we're coming back to it. What's All one right. more thing? One more thing that our listeners should know about you as we begin today. Probably the, the one thing that's a, a little bit different about me is, even though I talked about financial success, the thing that really matters to me at the end of the day is connections with people, like just deeply, deeply caring about people. And I was thinking about it because for some reason you have your shower thoughts, right? And the shower thought was, I really believe that relationships and beautiful conversations are the true currency. Like if you're storing up value if you're if you're trying to create value in the world it's through your relationships and it's through conversations so just in the, you know like everything in the way that I show up I will always prioritize connection and relationships over like it was it was just interesting because one of the the members of our coaching program said I never felt like I had a number associated with my name like I always just felt like I was treated as a person, as somebody who was valued, that somebody that you cared about. And it's like, yes, that is the way I want to show up all the time is that way. Do you feel, Robert, that it's always been that way for you, that the relationship with others is the currency? Or is there a moment or a time, a phase where you came to that realization because of relationships with people? You know, actually, it's interesting because it's probably one of the stories of struggle. So my parents got divorced when I was five years old. And obviously, when that happens, you know, it shapes your life. And I think that, yeah, you know, I think it actually started way back then. I mean, I was like insane as, as a child because well, a couple things happened. Probably one was the story I told myself, which isn't really a healthy story in terms of financial success, that, you know, my dad cared more about money than he did about my mom and I. So that was one of the stories. And then the other part of the story was that I have to stay close to people and stay protected. So like I was, this is funny for me because everyone now knows me as like almost fearless. And yet back then when I was five years old, I was like so afraid that I would literally tie strings between my mom's bed and my, so that that connection was there. You know, like I was always, you know, building invisible force fields and doing all kinds of crazy things to, to keep that connection with people because I regarded that as uh, being the security or the source of security for me. So I have a feeling it started when I was five, if you had to ask. <laughs> you think that story, the uh, what you told yourself, that dad cared more about money than you and mom, is that something that ended up to be true? Or was that simply a narrative? I mean, how did that play out if you if it has? 
Yeah, I mean, there's certainly elements of it that's true. I mean, that pattern did reflect, you know, further on in my dad's life. I mean, my mom was the first of four. So that kind of gives you uh, an idea. So I think there were elements of it that were true. But at the same time, it was the willingness to have deep connections. Like I just chose not to be that way. So I guess I just rejected from that point onward. I just rejected that, like, yeah, that's not going to be me. And how did that play into the kind of going full circle back to the first story? Amazing story. You supported yourself since 15. You started a company or joined a company with your friends. I guess if you could take us from that point on, when you started the company and joined the company with your friends at 15, walk us through the, the challenges associated with that, please. Yeah. Well, you know, it was interesting too, because like when we were doing it, so the whole idea behind the company originally was how can we be a company that sets an example for other companies? So we were working with a management consultant who was trying to get the idea across that business could be ethical. So, you know, like nowadays we hear about B Corps and we hear about the conscious capitalism movement and there's all kinds of for-purpose companies. There's names around this. So this was kind of the idea that we had back in 1980, you know, when this was occurring. And all the business leaders were saying, dude, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. Business is about making money and only about making money. You know, like back in the 80s, I mean, that was when, you know, they were saying greed is good and that's, you know, corporations are just... So So to have an, an ex- a company that was set a for-purpose or conscious capitalism type of organization was really unheard of at the time. And so when the company started, we... We just, the the idea was, let's start a company to prove that that could work. And we literally didn't even care what the company was about, you know? So like, we were just like, okay, guys, you know, what, what kind of company should we start if we're going to start a company? And we're like, one guy said, oh, I know something about automotive parts. And they're like, okay, fine. Let's do automotive parts. Like literally we were a point looking for an excuse for a company. We didn't have the, the product or the solution in mind ahead of time. And reality was, I mean, we were a group of people who had no idea what they were doing, right? Like I was 15 at the time. Most of it, I did have adult supervision. I was the youngest for the first 15 or 20 years of the company. But most of the people were in their early 20s, you know, somewhere as old as 30 years old. So there was a little bit of adult supervision, but it was really just a group of people who had no idea what they were doing. And I think this is one of the reasons why I was so drawn to the exchange, because the the principles that we used in operating that company were totally the same principles that would be used within an exchange-guided facilitation or an appreciative inquiry type model, where we were going through consensus. We would talk about what we do. We'd debrief what we were doing. We'd find out whether we're going in the right direction or the wrong direction. Everyone's voice was listened to and heard and accepted. And that's how we made decisions. And I remember making a joke at the time that they said, you know what? It doesn't matter what decision we make, because even if we start 180 degrees in the wrong direction, the process that we have of checking in on a regular basis and finding out what's happening and then adjusting is going to cause us to go 100% in the right direction once we continue to do that. So it's like, let's just start doing something that that feels like it's the right direction. And we'll constantly check in what's the results we're getting. Is this working? What do we want to keep? What do we want to let go of? And just constantly adjust. And I mean, the result of that for, for me, at least, was that, that experience where I was describing, I felt like I was hanging out with my friends. Like literally, I didn't know work wasn't supposed to be fun. You know, like I keep hearing people talking about, I don't like my job. And I'm like, okay, then why are you doing it? I'm confused. It's just like, if somebody told me, you know, oh yeah, I'm married, but I hate my wife. It's like, well, then why are you still married? I'm confused. Or why don't you fix it? You know, like one or the other, like, don't, don't just stay in something that's terrible. But we had like 20 year run of, of just like literally growing exponentially quickly without. Okay ever feeling like it was work. It was just a beautiful experience. Yeah. Well, 
fantastic. I love to hear that starting at a young age of 15, you were supporting yourself, you're out on your own doing that. And what was hard about that? Like where, if you go into some of the the, the challenges inside of it, what was one of the first roadblocks or, or barriers that you faced either in business or in life? Well, the, you know, the big one that, that came from that, which was kind of the, un- so the ending of it, the, the whole thing was hard. It became difficult because we had that, you know, beautiful runway for 20 years. And what happened was, and it's interesting now having studied the exchange process a little bit, is the importance of the questions we ask ourselves and and why it's so important to ask the right questions. So we went from zero to $200 million. We went from the original 20 employees when I joined to 1,000 employees. And what happened is once we got to that parabolic stage where we're growing about $20 million every year, we asked ourselves a question, which is, wow, we've gotten to $200 million. How do we get to half a billion? We want to grow. We want to get to half a billion dollars. Okay. Now, in hindsight, I realized that was the wrong question. The right question would have been, we've grown to $200 million. What are the things that we did that allowed us to get to $200 million that we need to keep doing in order to continue the, the period of growth. So it was, what are what have we done that was successful? Because in just simply asking the question, how do I get from $200 million to $500 million? The answer was, well, we don't know. We've never gotten to $500 million. And so the solution to that wrong question, just slightly wrong question, was, oh, we need to invite people who have grown companies to half a billion dollars. So we invited a bunch of consultants in and they said, oh, this thing that you're doing where you're like checking in with everybody and you're getting consensus of opinion and you're debriefing and you're making decisions, you know, with all the the members of the team, that takes way too long. You can't do that. You need to come up with a five-year plan. Management needs to go off, lock themselves in the corner office, come up with a five-year plan, and then tell everybody this is what you're going to be doing. And so basically what the consultants were saying was go to a command and control style because that's what all the $500 billion corporations are doing. They have a command and control style, which generally speaking was right, but it was a complete disaster for the culture of the company that we built, which by the way, is the way most companies are starting to grow successfully now, which is getting everyone involved, valuing people, valuing people's opinions, thinking about the ethics. Are we doing the right thing? Are we treating our customers with respect? Are we treating our suppliers with respect? Are we listening to each other and valuing each individual? And they were basically telling us to throw that stuff out. So the challenge, and this may have been like the singular challenge in my, in my life, was that once those consultants came in and started changing the culture of it, everything shifted in a very negative way. We started having turnover. We started having political problems. We started having strife. It was just, it was, it was really bad. And those of us who had started the company said, Hey guys, time out. We can't do this anymore. And unfortunately, one of the trusted inside people had aligned himself with the consultants and tricked the person who owned the company. So the the person who owned the company at the time was one of the secretaries of this management consultant. She had no day-to-day operational knowledge of the business. And he, this trusted partner siding with the consultants, said, hey, this company has no value. I'm going to, I want to rescue the company with the consultants. And so she basically signed the control of the company over to this person and the consultants and before we knew what happened, all the original members who wanted to go back to the old way of doing things were like, hey, we don't need you anymore. We're not doing it this way. We're, we're, we're going with the command and control way of growing. And so, you know, I found myself after 29 years at that point with the organization thinking I would never have to find a job without a job, without my identity, without a family, you know, just like everything Everything that was me at the time was basically just like, poof, gone. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Wow. So it was, it was, it was a challenging uh, period. And then, of course, you know, and I shouldn't say of course, because I didn't have to choose this, but I chose this to go through a two-year period of depression, which was 
which was really, really challenging and really difficult to get out of. So I'll stop at that point. I can share how I got out of it, but... (laughs) I would love to get to that uh, of how you got out of it. But I think that first, the the challenge that just is causing me to just go, wow, right now is that too, from a very young age of 15, for the next 20 to 29 years, helped to build something big and amazing that had far-reaching impact and, and big revenue of up to a couple hundred million dollars. And near the end of that time, it was all of a sudden taken or all of a sudden Bye. Cut the cord. It's it's done. And it wasn't by your choice. And the people that I, I can only imagine what this may have done for for trusting others and for you know seeing your your identity as you shared and the things that are most important to you kind of ripped away out of nowhere. So I'm 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 feeling for you right now. And yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. But at the same time, I'm glad to hear it because that gives us the opportunity to talk about the the upside. Because you're here now with a great attitude and some things have gone well now. But before we get to that, let's go back. So what happened in that two-year period, Robert, from when it ended with the company and and you were depressed? Please share that. Yeah, I remember that there was a couple of dramatic turning point moments. And, and the one that really sort of sticks out in my mind is I was just feeling really about everything, you know, about the way life was turning out. And I was standing in the doorway of my room and I was looking at my bed and I'm like, you know what? And by the way, if you can't tell, I'm an extrovert and I've, as far as I know, I've always been kind of an extrovert, but I was looking at my bed and seriously, like, I don't want to leave this room. I want to go to that bed and curl up in a ball and not come out because this sucks and I don't want to deal with it and I don't want to deal with people anymore and I'm just just going to curl up in a ball in my bed, which I don't know how that would look after a few days, but okay. Uh, And then as I was staring at, at the bed, I also looked out to the other side of the room and I noticed the doorway out the door and it's like, or I could walk out the door and just get on with my life. You know, I could go out and meet people. And it was hard at the time because it was like comfort, bed, discomfort challenge walking out that door and I chose to walk out the door and what I did in walking out the door both literally and figuratively is I started a meetup group for people in job search mode and this was in the 2007 to 2009 economic downturn crisis that that put a lot of people at risk And when I started the job search meetup group, I was just the co-organizer, you know, like they were just looking for somebody to head the meetup. But what happened was I started hearing people's stories and I realized it's like, oh, you know what? I'm not actually scared of being homeless or starving. You know, life isn't that bad. But when I'm talking to some of the people, they were losing their homes. They were not sure how they were going to feed their kids or their families. I mean, it was some serious economic hurt, particularly where I was living, which was you know, a place where the real estate had boomed a lot because of the pharmaceutical industry. And now suddenly people had all these fancy big houses that they couldn't pay for. So what happened was, and this was just a complete accidental discovery, but I realized that in the process of helping other people, because obviously I had a lot of empathy for what they were going through and I was giving them a lot of suggestions and advice and kind of guiding them and sometimes just being an empathetic ear, just being somebody that they could listen to and somebody who felt like they they got them and was in the similar place to them. But me helping other people started healing me. And that was when I started finding personal development and coaching. Like I, I didn't even know what being a coach was. And suddenly I found myself in the role of a coach and I'm like, wow, this is deeply healing to be able to help other people. So that was the thing that really pulled me out of the funk that I was in. How did you muster the courage or the, the motivation to make that choice to go out the door and take action to start the meetup group rather than stay at home in, in bed? I mean, it takes back to that moment and what caused you to make that choice? this is you know it's it's kind of a funny thing i think literally and i might have even made the comment when i was doing it i was projecting out what staying in a ball in the middle of my bed would look like after three or four weeks and it wasn't pretty 
And so it was literally just projecting out the future of like, okay, I can do that. That's, that's a valid choice, but what will it look like a month from now? Like, how will I feel about myself a month from now doing that? And, and realizing it's like, no, that's not the direction I want my life to take. You know, whatever it is, I know what is in store for me in the future is not that. So you knew it was not that. You didn't know what it was exactly, but it was not that. You had to move away from that. Good. Good. And I love what you said about coaching and the process of helping others. You really healed yourself. And and I feel that way too. I feel that you know, I need to show up better for others so I can listen better, so I can you know give feedback, offer that advice, help them grow and scale the business, help them be the best husband, father, mother, daughter that they can be in their families. And in order to do that, you know, I've got to continually work on me. And, and as you're saying that when you show up to help them, it helps you to heal you too. Uh, big point. Love that. Man, well, so many places to go. I mean, you've lived quite an eventful world. Can you take us to the point when you started to do the meetups, you started to coach, and can you tell us a little bit about when you first got involved in coaching, what that looked like? Yeah, you know, it was kind of an accidental thing. So I started, and I don't even know how I found it. So like when I got into the personal development, then I started, as, as I'm sure a lot of people do, reading all the books and taking all the courses. And I somehow found, saw an advertisement from Brendan Burchard. And so I signed up for Brendan Burchard's Experts Academy, I think. And then as I was doing this, I did get a new job in the wind power industry, which was actually a really fun, interesting thing. So after after a couple of years of unemployment, I did find a job finally, even even in those economic times. Robert, pause. What's what what's fun and interesting about the wind industry? What was interesting about it? Yes. Yeah. So I was in supply chain. So okay. like my, my whole career has always been in supply chain, which I know is, is a real thing. And the thing that was fascinating to me, because I was always in the, the buying the commodities, buying the, the raw materials that the company resold, in the wind industry, I got to buy what they call the indirect materials. So I was buying the the contracts for testing. I was buying the cranes. I was setting up the... Like we, we got a new office, so I was like setting up the office and buying the office furniture and thinking about ergonomics. So I got to learn so much about so many industries in a short period of time because I was buying all the stuff. Like I wasn't buying the things that went into making the wind turbine. I was buying all the things that made the factory run and the processes run and the offices run. And I just found it fascinating to be able to buy all those that that wide variety of things like i learned more in a short period of time about a lot of things than i ever could have doing just about anything else have you always had this this learner mindset about you where you've just been fascinated by the learning my parents my friends were like you know like dude you're 20 years old you could stop asking why or how or curious questions all the time because i was always just like insanely curious so Yes, I, I, God, I was it seems guy. like the older we get, people try to get us to stop asking why, and I want to ask more about why now. I'm, I'm, I'm more curious after being a part of Exchange, even after this conversation. I, I'm incredibly curious about curiosity. In fact, I, I have this book on my desk right here, "A Curious Mind" by Brian Grazer, the um, Hollywood producer, and it's one of my favorite books now because he talks about how to use curiosity to your advantage. And every story that you've woven for us today has left me very curious. And you seem to be someone who's always learning and always kind of sponging it up and, and, and growing. So I digressed. Please take us back to how you got into coaching. I'd love to go back to that story. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of coaching, so I found Brendan Burchard. And then when, when I got the corporate job, I'm like, well, I don't think I really need this thing that I bought from Brendan. I should see what else he has. And so he had something called High Performance Academy. So I went to High Performance Academy. And at that class, he talked about he has a coaching certification program that he's running. And I'm like, ooh, this sounds fascinating. And so I'm like, I think I'm going to take the coaching certification. And by then, strangely enough, I was out of the wind turbine industry and I was working for another company that was actually a competitor of my original. And I was helping, like, talk about completion. Like, I got to complete a whole bunch of the things that I had started with the original company, which was powerful because we were 
you know, I was visiting the same factories and talking. And this time we got to sell the company, which was my job in, in that company was to help sell the company. So I went to the CEO and I said, Hey, I want to take this uh, coach certification training. Would that be great? And he's like, yeah, you can take it. We're not paying for it. It's $10,000, you know, certification class. We're not paying for it, but I'll tell you what, I'll give you the whole week off. You don't have to take it against your paid time off. And so we'll, we'll, we'll give you something, but not, not that. So I went and took the coach certification training for a week came back and I'm all excited and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Can I coach the team? I can make the team a lot better. And he's like, dude, we're getting ready to sell the company. So just make the numbers look good. We don't need to develop the people right now. And I'm like, oh, oh. damn it. <laughs> so I didn't have the official blessing. I was reporting to the CEO at the time. So like there was no one else to go to and say, hey, but can I do this? So I had 17 people reporting to me in, at, at the time, and so I just went to all the team members and said, hey, not sanctioned by the company, but if any of you want coaching, I just certified as a coach, and I'm glad to coach. And the person who volunteered was the lowest paid guy of all the employees that I was managing at the time, and he was struggling with self-worth issues. He was struggling with a bad marriage. He was struggling with you know, having some addictions and everything. And he's like, yeah, I would love to have some coaching. So we just went out after work and did sushi and we started coaching. And it was astonishing the, the, the breakthroughs that he made. I mean, like I followed up with him a year later. He is now in charge of setting up warehouses around the country for them, doing the implementations of their enterprise software systems. He got out of the bad marriage. He stopped drinking. He bought a new car. He bought a new house. He fell in love with somebody that he really cares about. And I'm like, holy shit, this coaching stuff really works. Wow. Amazing. That's major life impact right there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And the thing that was exciting was, as I was thinking about it, I'll call him Justin just for, you know, so to protect his anonymity. And the thing that I realized is if if that helped him that dramatically, how many more Justins are out there? How many more people are out there that just needs somebody to make a difference in their life, somebody to hear them, somebody to ask the right questions? And I just saw the power in coaching. So fast forward when the company was sold, and this time, luckily, I had a piece of the company, You know, so I didn't make the mistake I made with the first company. That gave me the runway to pivot into coaching full-time because when the company got sold, basically I had a payout that was able to finance me figuring things out as a coach for a couple of years. Wow. Excellent. Well, thank you for telling us the turnaround story for Justin. And you know, it's great to have that impact all the time. And that's, that's why, for anyone listening out there who's interested in the coaching profession, that's why it's that one time that you see that person struggling and we have that impact. It's heartwarming to hear another coach talk about it. I wonder how has that impacted you, that experience of seeing Justin a year later and seeing the changes he's made in his life? How did that make you feel? Yeah, you know, it really gave me a ton of incentive because I know that there are like so, I mean, like his story is not unique. You know, his he is unique as an individual, but everybody is going through something. And how many people can we touch? And if, if you have a, a particular skill, which as you develop as a coach, it's there's the skills of presence and empathy and asking the right questions at the right time and guiding people to their own solutions instead of trying to tell them what to do. But when you develop those skills, you realize how profoundly they impact people and you know, for me personally, I just wanted to see as much of that happening in the world as possible. Is that your mission is to see that in the world as much as possible to impact like that? Well, yeah, you know, yes. And I think it's morphed a little bit now, you know, because I'm, I'm working with coaches and my mission is to really amplify coaches and to help the helpers. So I, I see coaches right now as as the helpers in a lot of ways they're the first responders just like the medical professionals are or the emergency professionals are you know the, we we talk so much about the front line particularly over the last couple of years and what i've seen is coaches themselves are the frontline responders for a mental health crisis that is 
still occurring, probably worse than I've certainly than I've ever seen it in my lifetime of disconnection of people not being connected to themselves, of people not being connected to each other. The media, social media, everything is telling us we should other and take sides and, and just stoking division and stoking fear and that type of thing. And so the thing that's really driving me is to help the helpers to reunite a divided world. Wow. And on this journey of, of reuniting the divided world and, and helping the helpers, what are some of the key lessons or insights that you can share with us in starting this, this new venture to serve the first responders, if you will? What are some key lessons for us, Robert? Yeah. You know, the interesting thing for, for me, so it's really about creating, and it's funny because you're you're part of the exchange community too, but it's really about co-creating with the community. It's all about finding out exactly what people need. And probably one of the biggest lessons that, that has hit me really hard recently is the power of getting real-world feedback and adjusting. So I'm thinking about the story that I was telling with the original company and then thinking about what we've created for advanced coaches in the group coaching space. And the thing that's been the singular biggest difference maker for us in developing mastery in that is that we go back at the end of every session that we have and we ask for feedback. What worked? What didn't work? What could we have done better? And we made it so unbelievably safe for people to give us challenging feedback by role modeling it, by just saying, hey, here's one thing that I see I could have done better. What else do you guys see? And then you could tell that the participants, and again, all of the participants in our group coaching program are advanced coaches, so their feedback is likely to be valuable. But every one of them were like, okay, I'm going to try this out. Do you realize that sometimes when you're on a coaching call, you say cool to people, this was mine, and you say cool, and cool sounds dismissive, you know, versus being able to say thank you. I'm like, ooh, thank you. You're right. I didn't realize I was doing that. And then my business partner got feedback that when there's time pressure on a thing, he'll start talking faster, and like that energy of time pressure becomes contagious, and... And then everyone feels like, wait, something's wrong. You know, like we're, we're, we're not on track. We're, we're supposed to be going faster. And then so it kind of ruins the flow of the entire session. So he got that feedback and was able to, to, to change it. And there's nothing more powerful in building a community than when you build a community and you're open, transparent, you invite feedback, and then they see you changing based on the feedback. Like we had a session, we had that mistake, we asked them about it, they told us about the mistake, and then the next session, we didn't do that again. The next session we had changed, we adjusted, and they're like, oh, these guys are for real. They are listening to our feedback, they are adjusting. And so they just went for it, you know, like so many like little nuances. But the thing that it's done is over the, the sessions that we've had, it's enabled us to level up so much faster than if we hadn't intentionally invited that feedback. So that's probably the single biggest lesson that I've had through this whole journey is like, it's okay to go there. It's, an, it's okay to take a gulp. It's okay to feel terrible in the moment when you're getting that feedback because it doesn't feel good to get feedback like that. But if you listen and you adjust and you accept it openly, it's the path to mastery. Mm. The path to mastery is through real-time, open, safe feedback. I love to hear that. Love to hear it. you when you say this to me. A couple of emotions come up inside of me. One of those is triggered sometimes. It was triggered this morning on a coaching call, not towards a particular person with conflict, more towards the word. A specific word will sometimes trigger me. And one of the words that might trigger me is the word sure. Because when I hear someone say sure, to me, that's not a yes, that's not a no, that's kind of a lukewarm, eh, I guess if I have to. That That's just a word. So when someone asks me, do you have any feedback for me? If I ever hear the word sure, that is a word that uh, I'll offer some feedback on. But I wonder how many times throughout the course of a given conversation or a day or each week and every interaction we have, we might say things that we intend this to happen and it's taken in a totally different way. If there were a way that we could make 
things psychologically safe, as we talk about in exchange all the time, I wonder how we might do that. And it sounds like you're doing that at a high level with coaching clients or with, with coaches, teaching coaches how to do that. Well, you know, and, and it is really interesting because you could solicit this. So like when somebody will give you a piece of feedback, it could be that person's experience. They interpret sure as a certain way. But typically when, when somebody gives us some challenging feedback, we'll say, oh, how many other people experienced it that way? And, and then we'll see hands and sometimes no hands will go up and you're like, oh, okay, well then maybe that's feedback for that person because they're, you know, they had some personal experience that took it that way. But if a whole bunch of hands go up saying, oh yeah, I felt that way too. I felt that I was being dismissive. Then it's like, ooh, okay. Then there's definitely something there that I need to, I need to take a look at. Well, I can imagine that right now with everything you've been through, that you're someone that if you're given feedback, that whatever it is, you can graciously, gratefully accept it and add it to the collective in your mind. Some of us might not be as graceful or might take feedback and receive it and be like, what? What the heck do you mean? That was actually perfect. So I'm wondering for those of us who may have a challenge in receiving tough feedback, or if the feedback is given to us in a way that is very direct and maybe it hurts our feelings a little bit, what advice might you have for someone who gets triggered or gets upset when they ask for feedback? Well, yeah. I mean, two things. One is if you're human, it's some of the stuff that you get is going to hurt and it is going to trigger you. And that's okay. You know, like, like just acknowledge, like, it's like, you know, and, and so and I'll just give you a real world example. So we got some feedback two weeks ago in, in our coaching community and it was hard. And I'm like, OK. And I just said right, right out. It's like, ouch. OK, that doesn't feel good in the moment. I might have to think about that one for a little while. But I do want to share. And this is just the belief. And it, it helps the people who are like, oh, did I just go too far? You know, should I should I be careful? is to let the the participants know it's like well i really believe that you sharing real feedback about your experience is an act of love it's an act of care because and, and i really do believe this like if you're in a relationship with someone and you're done with that person what do you do you just leave you don't you don't go into the whole thing and tell them you know I would like to see this change. You could be doing this better. You could be doing this better. You're just gone. So the choice is, do you just let people feel unvalued? I mean, so many organizations are doing this. Do you just let people feel unvalued, unheard, unacknowledged, and let them walk out the door? Or do you create an environment that's so safe that it feels like an act of love and real care? So like if you want to, if you're in a relationship with someone and you want to make it work, that's when you get the tough feedback. Hey, when you said this to me, it made me feel this, this particular way. And that was challenging for me. That's an act of love. That's an act of, I want to preserve this relationship. And even though it's tough, I need to, I need to share this. And so I just acknowledge that that's the way that I'm taking the feedback. And even if I am not able to process it in that specific moment that I will process it because I know that it came from a place of love and care. Yeah, that's brilliant. Acknowledge that when you said, sure, this is how that made me feel. And you may not have intended that, but that, that's how it made me feel. So it's acknowledging that. And then, you know, once you've acknowledged it, where do you take it from there? Once you've acknowledged this is how it made you feel. For me, what I've been doing is processing it. You know, so like literally for me, my processing place is taking a walk in nature. Just for some reason, that's where I, you know, and then the ideas come to mind. And once it's processed in whatever way it needs to be processed, to go back to the person and say, thank you for sharing that feedback. Here's what I've done with it. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I realized. Here's what I'm going to do differently. And that creates a bond, a trust, a love, a care where you may get more feedback, but it's also just deeply, deeply trust building. Mm. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I feel I feel like I've learned a whole lot in the last few minutes and I hope our listeners are, are really have their antennas up. I guess if there's a scenario where someone is in a relationship with, let's just say it's a personal relationship, they have a personal relationship 
with a significant other, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, or however you might identify. And in this relationship, they feel like the other person has something that they are doing that hurts them. They're not sure how to bring it up. And you know how when you bring up something with a significant other, it can be very challenging. So if we went to like a personal side, then how might you encourage someone or how might you bring it up in a personal relationship? Yeah, I think in, in a personal relationship, the one important caveat is to ask for the feedback in a non-triggered state. And then if you're going to share something to say, hey, is it okay if I share something or is this a good time to share something rather than just like springing it on people? Definitely not out of the emotion or in the heat of the moment. Like if you yourself are feeling a lot of energy or a lot of emotion around a thing, that's not the time necessarily to share feedback because then you're going to get into the, well, you're doing it and then the other person's right back at you. And before you know it, it's, it's a downward spiral. Really what you're thinking about is how can I create that upward spiral? of momentum? How can I ask generative, positive questions? And if somebody does come at me with something, you know, with a high degree of emotion, then I just take a step back, a brief pause, and I'm like, okay, thank you for that. What would you like to see instead? And that gets them into creative problem-solving mode where it starts to turn the downward spiral up into the upward spiral instead of letting it continue down <laughs> the blame attack <laughs> defend cycle today's podcast is sponsored by real american heroes coaches as first responders we salute you for feeling our pains and digesting our worries for applauding our progress and our victories. You're making a difference. And we thank you for being on the front lines of listening. Thank you, coaches, first responders. Today's podcast sponsor, the Eternal Optimist Podcast. I feel when I get into a conversation with a high-level coach, I can just keep quizzing you and going deeper and deeper down the experiential rabbit hole. So I want to take a quick time out. And I'm going to take you deeper down in a different rabbit hole in a moment. But before that, I'm going to lighten it up for a moment. Can you share with me, if you're a movie person, who might your favorite actor or actress be? Movie person? Favorite actor or actress? Well, I mean, my favorite movie of all time is Star Wars. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> you got to go with Star Wars. So, like I'll just take on the the character, you know, so we could say Mark Hamill, but I I'm just going to take on the character of Luke Skywalker because I I just think that that like like when I envision myself going through life, it's like no matter what's coming at me, somehow I'm going to get through it and pull it out at the end. And so, I guess I've always identified with Luke Skywalker in that way generative positive questions you're on the side of the jedi versus the uh, the empire all all positive things from a man that is that is looking to impact the first responders the the coaches who are, who are out there leading others so thank you all right back to the rabbit hole this one i don't know where this is going to go it could get deep let's go to the business side of things let's say that there is an employee who finds themselves in a place where the boss says i welcome all feedback you know and for my own personal example or personal experience, it can be very challenging when a boss or a leader, especially if you are an employee of that person's company, when they say, hey, give me feedback, I'm really open to it. And every time that you might try to offer feedback, they say, well, yeah, yeah, thank you, we've tried that, but. <laughs> or anytime that you offer feedback, they may be quick to come back in with a rationalization as to why this is the way and not that feedback. So it doesn't take doesn't take long before your feedback muscle is one that you put away in dormancy and never use again. So if a boss asks for feedback and you're hesitant because they've done this before, how might we break through that cycle and really connect with them if there is a way? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a good question, because a lot of times it depends upon the leader himself. Is he really open to it? Is he role modeling it or is he demonstrating that willingness or interest in changing? Because sometimes a lot of times people 
they do a lot of things as window dressing. Like we love feedback. We have an open environment and it's just window dressing. And you know, humans know whether it's sincere, whether the person's role modeling or not. So I would say if you're in a situation where you determine that somebody's saying that they want feedback and they truly don't want feedback, then, you know, and this is, and I've coached so many people through job transition things. The, the real question is, is the values that I have in my heart aligned with the values of this organization? And if they're not, at a core level, if they're not aligned with the values of the organization, you need to find something else. Because that's, like, that's just, it's just not going to work. So I, I wouldn't try to change things that can't be changed because you're just going to frustrate yourself if that's the case. Now, on the other hand, if the leader is genuinely accepting feedback and may have very legitimate reasons as to why something can't be done, then I would continue giving the feedback and saying, hey, is this, I would check in regularly with them. Is this helpful? You know, is this the kind of feedback you want? Or even just adjusting what kind of feedback would be most helpful to you? What are you working on? And so turn the tables around and really become an ally with the leader so that you can figure out what's most important to him and figure out how you can help him be as successful as possible. And then instead of being, you know, the tennis match, the, the, the people playing, you know, against each other, you're actually just come on this, the same side and you're basically playing doubles and that your leader is now a partner in, in playing the match with you. Great example, the tennis example of, of instead of going back and forth, it's get on their side and play doubles. I love the example. Never heard that one before. Thank you for that. I'd love to go to um, an exciting future. And I love to, you know, kind of ask you about what might that exciting future look like? And you may or may not be tied to any specific outcome, but with what you're leading and creating in your community and your company, what exciting future do you foresee or, or gets you excited? Yeah, the thing, I mean, the thing that's been most exciting for me, and I've been calling this out, and again, I don't even know the science behind it, but 150 advanced coaches so that are supporting each other in mastery on the field and spiraling up with the best of group coaching. So, and I probably didn't even finish the, the story when I was evolving as a coach to even tell you what it is that I'm doing, but just briefly what happened was I was doing a ton of individual coaching with people like Justin. And that was my whole career. And then the pandemic hit, right? And of course, you know that I was one of the original exchange members and learned facilitation. And what happened was in the group of Brendan Burchard's high-performance coaches, one of the coaches said, oh, I'm trying to pivot from one-on-one -on -one model to a group model. How do I create a group, you know, powerful group coaching? And I'm like, oh, it's easy. You just combine facilitation with the high levels of coaching skills, and then you can run a very powerful, you can choreograph a very powerful group scenario. And so I posted that in the group and he's like, oh my God, I need that help. So I said, sure, I'll jump on a call with you. 47 other coaches in that Facebook group said, I need that help too. So that became a Zoom call where all those coaches jumped on the call and they're like, oh my God, this is life-changing. This is so powerful. Thank you. Turned into a four-hour training course, which then turned into a mastermind and a now 12-week program to help coaches pivot from that one-on-one -on -one model to a group model using facilitation. So that's what we've been doing. We've run two cohorts now. We're filling the third of the cohorts right now. And the thing that's most exciting to me is to have 150 of the world's most advanced coaches learn how to do this. Because you know, and you you know probably better than anyone because you're doing the same thing, is you probably started out as a coach and you also learned facilitation. And now you see the power of creating exponentially better group conversations with people and how impactful that could be better than the one-on-one. -on -one. Like now we've done 400 of these sessions and I can say categorically group is better than one-on-one -on -one in terms of the level of power, accountability, depth that you can go to with people. And so my dream is to create basically a work family of 150 of the most advanced coaches on the world spiraling up, figuring out what's working in real time, debriefing in real time, making mistakes for 
for themselves and then sharing it with the others so that the other people in the group don't have to make those same mistakes and getting better at a level that you could not possibly get if you were trying to do it on your own. Wow. Oh, wow. Well, what goes into this cohort? I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in what, what happens in a cohort. And uh, please evangelize a little bit because it sounds very exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, what we're doing is, you know, and it's interesting because it's really the playbook. So what we're doing now or what we figured out doing. So we've been brainstorming. We've run and run 400 of these group coaching sessions. And uh, the thing that we've done is we've actually created a playbook of how do you literally, how do you start a meeting? So we have something just to give you an idea, like the GPS, grounding, positive frame, and sharing with each other. So everyone's voice is invited into the room. We have something called the Advanced Connective Hot Seat, where you can put one person on the hot seat, but everybody's getting value simultaneously from the hot seat. Because instead of just doing the normal, I'm going to coach Matt, Matt has a particular problem, I'm going to solve your problem for you in front of the group, which is useful in itself because other people are learning. But instead, we now go to the group and we could say, okay, what clarifying questions do you have for this person before we get into any suggestions? Great. Now, after you had the clarifying questions, which helps the person on the hot seat think things through already, then you go to the contribution round saying, hey, if any of you have personal experience, if you have connections, if you have suggestions based on things that you know work, feel free to bring those in. And you bring those in before the leaders say anything at all. But now everybody's invested in everybody else's success. Everyone's leaning in, everyone's learning together and simultaneously. You know, so we've got something for the middle, then how do you end? You know, we've got a framework for ending with energy and figuring out where people. So it's really just what it's become is literally a, a play-by-play book of what do you do to create powerful group sessions? And then of course, because the coaches need this. How do you design sessions? How do you design the arc of your overall program so it's as powerful as possible? How do you solicit feedback? How do you create that cycle of debriefing that we were talking about so much in the beginning of this, where you can really create the psychological safety so that people can share the challenging feedback so that you can start improving at a rapid level. So it's really all those elements put together of like, okay, I know I, I know group coaching is a good idea. How do I actually do it? That's essentially what the program is about. Wow. What, when is it? How can we get more information about it? Is there a link? Just I'm hungry for more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, the website is called groupcoachmagic.com. And I can send it to you. And yeah, the cohort is filling now. We're twenty five percent filled. They're they're very they're very small cohorts. So like we're we really are just trying to get twelve people in it. And so there's three people. Three people are signed up now. We're we have slots for nine more <laughs> at the point of at the point of this conversation at least. And yeah, I think we're starting. Yeah, we're starting in September. In the meantime, you know, even. Even ahead of time, and and I'd be glad to share information with you or or some recordings of our, but we do have the first two cohorts recordings available so that people can get access to the information right away. Wow. Wow. Well, Robert, what other ways might we find out more about what you're doing or connect with you? Any other links or resources that we can connect with you, please? Yeah. You know, actually we have, and, and maybe I'll I'll, get, I'll share this link with you, too. We have a, a YouTube channel, which we're just now starting out. We have a few YouTube videos out there that that we could share on the group coaching front. And then, of course, you know, if anyone wants to email, contact me directly. It's super simple. It's just rob at groupcoachmagic.com. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Well, I always love to to wrap it up with with advice, with a piece of advice If there's someone out there who has a challenge, they're finding it very tough to get through. You've demonstrated today remarkably well. You've overcome a number of challenges from a young age in business, as a leader, building communities, many different things you've done. What might be a piece of advice you have for someone who's having trouble taking that first step and taking action towards their goals or dreams? Yeah. Well, the first thing that comes to mind, there's there's probably three things that I can share on that. But the first one that comes to mind is something I share with a lot of clients because it's so easy for us to stay in paralysis trying to, to get ourselves out there and to like, 
I need to go to the mountaintop and meditate and I need to journal for hours in order to figure out what my mission is. And the thing that I've realized is that clarity comes from experimentation in action, which means you have to find out what feels right to you, but you won't really know if it's right until you start moving in that direction and then you're measuring. So it's going back to that debrief cycle that we were talking about earlier, which is start moving in a direction. You know, like if you're in New York City and you want to go to Los Angeles, you have to get in the car and start driving in that direction. And you're going to take different roads than you expected. You're going to have obstacles, twists and turns, but you won't know until you're on the road. So go in the direction that you think is the right direction and then measure what's really happening, make the adjustments you need in real time. And eventually you'll find that level of clarity, but you'll only find it in motion. You won't find it when you're just like, I'm waiting until life is perfect and it's just exactly the right time for everything to happen for me. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Robert. That's been incredible. I, I hope that people take away as much value as I did today. This has been phenomenal. I guess one last question, kind of the bonus question, might be, since you're a fan of Luke Skywalker, what's your favorite Star Wars movie? Oh, famous Star Wars, favorite Star Wars movie. <laughs> I'm pretty sure The Empire Strikes Back. Mm. We'll stop recording here in a moment and take me down a Star Wars hole. I, I'm, I'm a big Star Wars fan too. So thanks so much, Robert, for taking the time and investing in me today. You're much appreciated, my friend. Take care. Back at you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.